Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Late Night Rentals. Uh, logging in another entry in our month of labor pains. I'm your host, Brandon, and joined with me down this road of cinematic contractions is my co-host and good friend, Ryan. Ryan, well this evening? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm doing pretty excellent. And, hey, however, Ryan, however, if you ever feel less than normal, you could always participate in all Oliver Reed's highly rated retreat of psychoplasmics. You know, I've seen the results, and uh, I think I might pass. <laughs> good choice, good choice. <laughs> All right, renters, get out those membership cards and hoard up on your favorite snacks. Tonight we're renting The Brood. They come from the unknown, and they're here now, hiding, waiting to strike. You can feel their presence all around you. <clears throat> Never before have you come this close to the edge of terror. Never before have you faced anything so strange and sinister, so bizarre and unnerving. Never until now. David Cronenberg's The Brood. Are you ready for me, Frank? I seem to be a very special person now. I'm in the middle of a strange adventure. I want to go with you wherever you go. Do you? Then look! The Brood. You can run. You can hide and hope they won't find you. But you won't escape. Once unleashed, the Brood will destroy anyone who gets in their way. David Cronenberg's ultimate experience in inner terror. Starring Oliver Reed and Samantha Agar. The Brood, they're waiting for you. Ah, uh, I gotta say, Ryan, uh, with your first child expected to come into this world in under three months, this is a hell of a movie to be watching, sir. More so in the fact that one of the many underlining themes in this movie is fear of parenthood. So bravo on the choice. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, <laughs> I figured, you know, I've, I'm, I have gotten too comfortable with yeah. the thought of being a father, I need to scare myself awake again. Uh, Cronenberg is definitely the person to do that, especially anything to do with if anybody has any sort of fears, uh, especially about one's own body. David Cronenberg is the man to watch. Uh, his entire filmography has some sort of direction or semblance of body horror. Yeah, I've, I mean, I've seen... I would say I've seen a fair amount of his movies, not a whole lot. Like I have Videodrome from the Criterion Collection. I think that might be like the most Cronenberg movie. Like when you when you talk about David Cronenberg, it's always the body horror stuff. But like I've seen, you know, Eastern Promises, A History of Violence. Like I think it's it's wildly different than something like Videodrome or even The Fly, like the bits I remember from The Fly. But it's, you know, it's surprising because I was thinking about 
like the Cronenberg movies I have seen, and I for I, I completely forgot that he made the Dead Zone. Oh yeah, yeah, with Christopher Walken. Yeah, and that's I mean that's radically different. Like that came out in '83. This is '79. Yeah. Scanners is '81, and so like the Dead Zone came out the same year as Videodrome, and it's kind of like a I don't want to say like a stark departure because they're both you know horror movies, but like. You know, Videodrome is very graphic. It deals a lot of, like, sexual stuff uh, and body manipulation. And Dead Zone is just, like, a guy that can see things and stop murders. <laughs> okay, so let's jump into The Brood. So it's been it's been a while since I've seen this. Um, and it opens up with our one of our main characters, Oliver Reed, who is... Essentially, he's a psychologist. By the, his character's name is uh, Hal Raglan, and he's sort of like this overseer of a very pseudo kind of science called psychoplasmics, uh, and it centers around like his institute. Is it? I, yeah, it's his institute called Summerfree, and it opens up with him and one of his patients in a sort of like college esque sort of demonstration about his methods. Yeah, my first like my first assumption was like are they doing like are they reciting a piece like are they doing like are they acting and then i didn't piece it together until like the, someone flat out says like his techniques are revolutionary or something like that i'm like oh that's what they're doing i can't hard speak and don't speak speak to me show me don't tell me about it i'm not interested in what little girls have to say anyway show me show me your anger show me then i can understand it there you are, Daddy. There you are. Wow. The man is a genius. The man is a genius. And it reminded me a lot of uh, Scanners, right? Because Scanners kind of starts with like a, a demonstration of the psychic abilities or what have you. Of the, the people that are the scanners. I don't know, I haven't seen scanners in a couple of years. But yeah, I thought, like, and they, the comparisons, at least from, like, the supernatural aspects or science fiction aspects of the brood and scanners, I thought were very, like, kind of, you know, queasily similar. How do I want to word this? <laughs> it, it's, it's borderline icky in a sense, too. And it, it's almost like you are an observant as well. Like, it, it felt like you were a part of that that crowd of students watching something maybe you, you weren't really supposed to. The, the, the part that got me, I thought was really good was when it cuts to him. Cause like the, the dialogue is, it's, it's meant to be, but like, it feels like, like you said, like you're watching something you're not really supposed to be watching. Um, but then when it cuts to him and he's got these sores all over his body, I thought that, um, that, that was the first, indicator to me that i was gonna watch something that i wasn't really like expecting hmm. um because my my first thought was that aids like it's an aids thing but like this is 79 aids hadn't happened yet and there's also the funny part where uh it looks like um uh, oliver reed act, like accidentally wipes away some of the makeup like some oh, of the sores yeah. when he when I he grabs the guy's head yeah <laughs> um and but like i because like i went to this expecting like i said i haven't seen a whole lot of cronenberg like, i've seen videodrome but i thought like videodrome to me comes across as like some guy who was finally given free reign to do whatever and so i was expecting you know not necessarily a straightforward horror movie but 
like kind of predictable horror movie because it's 79 it's you know low budget i didn't think they were gonna go like you know off the wall with it but it starts it starts off with you know introducing you to the the concept of the what's it called psychoplasmics correct and Oliver Reed is really good in this movie. Um, this is probably just like a paycheck for him, but like I, he's not phoning it in. I don't oh. think. Oh, definitely not. And it's, I mean, if anyone is familiar with Oliver Reed, the man has his foot uh, like really into the horror genre. I remember one of the first movies I've ever seen him in was a Hammer Horror production, Curse of the Werewolf, which I think one of the things that attracts me the most to Oliver Reed is the man is intimidating. And I, I, I think it doesn't matter what movie you're seeing him in, he just has this ominous presence about him. And I also think it starts with those eyes. So, I mean, in terms of becoming this, you know, this head honcho psychologist and this very, like, again, this very pseudoscience that even our main character, uh, Frank's his name, who is very disbelieving of it, the fact that, you know... Oliver Reed as a character, he that I would almost believe if someone were if something were to come out tomorrow and say like Oliver Reed was the head of a you know pseudoscience called psychoplasmics in a retreat in in Canada, I'd be like oh yeah yeah that sounds like Oliver Reed. I think this movie starts off really well, like it's like a lot different than what I thought it was gonna be, but then it kind of develops into like a murder mystery kind of mm-hmm. I guess is the best way of saying it. Like it's not nest like it's not you only you only wonder for like thirty minutes to what is happening before they kind of tell you what's happening. Yeah, I think I think it's pretty good. You know, it it's not it's not a movie that blew me away, but I think uh once I got settled back in to sort of this world and this story, I like how it teeters essentially. It's like on, on teetering on the line of grindhouse and art house. Like there's a very sleaziness to it, but then at the same time, uh this very art house like appeal to it, especially in terms of like color usage. And I think coming back to this one, it, it, that's what surprised me the most is I'm so used to those later Cronenberg movies, you know, that by the time I got to this one, it was refreshing. Especially like you had mentioned, you know, you're diving pretty deep into a murder mystery, two mysteries, actually, a murder mystery and then what's the mystery of what's going on at Summer Free Institute. Yeah, because like uh, I like the scene where uh, Frank goes and visits the one guy who's like rolling on the ground and he starts talking about the endocrine system. I like the ex- the explanation of what psychoplasmics really is. is very expository, but it kind of has to be. But I really enjoyed the way they presented it as like, this This is basically like the only humorous scene in the entire movie. And like they introduce you to the body horror aspect that, that we're going to fucking be thrown face first into at the end with his uh, cancer thing on his neck because it's gross and off-putting but it's just brief you only see it briefly but like he like explains that psych- the psychoplasmics is like he's trying the doctor is trying to help you get over your anger mm-hmm. uh, by projecting and releasing that that uh, releasing the, the energy and that manifests itself into um you know body deformations that's raglan that's psychoplasmics <laughs> it's called lymphosarcoma and it's spreading it's a form of cancer of the lymphatic system you blame raglan for that oh raglan did it i mean raglan encouraged my body to 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 revolt against me yeah. and it did which i think 
is an interesting concept because it's taking it's taking the literal like if you hold in your anger like that leads to like hypertension and all these health issues and it's taking that to like a literal a literal point which i thought was pretty fun yeah it is a unique angle especially since you know these patients are, are suffering from intense psychological trauma you know and which in the case of our main character frank his wife Ah, crap, I forgot her name. But, um... Nola. Nola, that's right. In the case of Nola, like, uh, we learn early on, too, that there is uh, definitely some physical trauma with her mother, in which, you know, she's... Nola is kept at the Summer Free Retreat, and her and Frank are sort of going through, like, this... I don't know if it's actually a divorce, or is the divorce, like, set in stone, or are they just going through the divorce? I think it's like a... I never got that they were going through a divorce. I got that it was like a separation. Like they had separated and like she took the kid and he's just like, he got the kid back when she went to the treatment. And like, that was supposed to be the thing that like when she got better, they were going to get back together. Gotcha. Okay. And there's a scene where Frank goes to pick up their daughter, whose name is Candy, and she's uh, spending weekends there with her mother at the Institute. Like, it's during a bath time when he's, you know, giving her a bath. He realizes that there's also bruises and welts on her back. Now, do you think, I, I can't remember, was it actually discussed as Nola giving the abuse in the same way that the grandmother, Nola's mother, gave the abuse to her, or is that also just uh, Candace's trauma manifesting into into welts and bruises as well? The end, they, I believe, Doctor Reglin tells Frank um, when he's explaining what the brood is, he's he insinuates that the brood attacked her, and that that becomes sort of when he brings Candace back home with him, and as I had previously mentioned in the bath time scene where he notices all the bruises, that sort of becomes the catalyst to get this movie really rolling, is uh, Frank very concerned about Candace still going to that place over the weekends. He's very, you know, because he's the one, he actually shows up in the beginning when Oliver Reed is doing his demonstration with the patient, and you can tell already just by his body language and the way he rolls his eyes, like, he would look at psychoplasmics probably the same way, you know, any logical human being would. And it just becomes, once he realizes that his daughter has been mistreated, it, it, that does become the movie's catalyst point. That's what gets the movie going, and he tries to get with a lawyer, and he's figuring out ways to make sure that his five-year-old daughter no longer is, you know, going there every weekend and being subjected to whatever the hell's going on up there. Yeah, I think the guy, uh, the guy that plays him... Art something, I can't remember his last name. He, he's, I don't know, he's kind of hit and miss in this movie for me, but I, I like the scenes where he has to show anger or at least frustration with something. He's really good. Um, like his, the, fir- the, the first scene he has with Oliver Reed, where he's like laying out, like, I, I, I want to see my wife, you know, Candy is being hurt and like all the stuff we've already seen. I, I really like their back and forth. I thought that he, like, that was probably his best scene. And I mean, this movie is not going to demand a whole lot from the actors uh, acting wise, but I I think he was very solid there. Frank, it's been some time. What can I do for you? I want to see Nola. I want to see my wife now. You know she's still undergoing intensive therapy. I can't let you break that isolation. Well, you let her see Candace on the weekends, don't you? 
Yes, Frank, I do, but then that's different. Regular visits from her daughter was built into her program from the very start. Yeah, well, her program has just changed. What do you mean, Frank? You sound hostile. Well, my daughter's been beaten. Severely. And scratched, and bitten. And her mother did it. Her mother, who's under your psychiatric care. That's an incredibly heavy accusation to make, Frank. Oh, absolutely. And it's just another great moment, too, again, to showcase Oliver Reed's ability to... Uh, that's what I loved most about his character in this, his ability to maintain control. Like, I don't think he, not once, does he ever shout or raise his voice or get belligerent. And I, th I find that very interesting. And I wonder if that's just because, you know, could it be two things? One, it could be maybe it was Oliver Reed making the logical choice that he's a psychologist. He would know since uh, I think in the movie, his character wrote a book called Stages of Rage. So maybe it would be believable that him as a character would know how to maintain his rage. Or the other possibility, as we had mentioned, Oliver Reed is an alcoholic, so maybe he's just drunk <laughs> <laughs> and didn't find the energy to emote very much. I mean, I could see either one being very, very valid options, but I, I, I didn't put that together that he never yelled until you said it. But yeah, he he has this this even kill demeanor where it's kind of like a. He has a sort of like reassuring voice when mm -hmm. he's talking to people, like when he's not when they're not doing their uh, sessions where he has to pretend like he plays uh, one of the care, like one of the people who traumatized one of his patients. Like outside of outside of that, when he's talking to Frank, when he's talking to his assistant, when he's talking to Nola's father, uh, he, he like it's not a condescending voice, but it's just like this soft, reassuringly calm voice. Right, yeah, so calm, in fact, that it almost feels, like, intoxicating. Like, it's pulling you in. Even when Frank, at, towards the end, when Frank is, you know, going to Summerfree to rescue his daughter, um, there's a moment where Oliver Reed pulls a gun on him. And even then, like, most people would handle that scene like, stop right there, you son of a bitch. But then, like, Oliver Reed's just like, Frank, I've got a gun. <laughs> and I'm just like, this, this man's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, and like you mentioned earlier, earlier, those eyes do a lot for Oof. him. Like, just looking at those eyes. Yeah, they are icy blue. And I, like I, the aforementioned movie at the beginning of this episode, when I mentioned Curse of the Werewolf, uh, when he goes full werewolf mode, again, man, like, you can tell most people that hired Oliver Reed did so because the profile of his eyes tells you so much more than any body language ever could. Um, that first image of, you know, this tiny little deformed creature in a red coat comes at the first kill scene, really, with Nola's mother, the grandmother, who was, man, she was popping down that alcohol, wasn't she? <laughs> it made me oh, man. <laughs> she was like, just sit right there, honey. Grandma's going to go refreshing our drinks. And I was like, woman, you got half a <laughs> glass already. <laughs> but she hears crashing in the kitchen. And I think that's, that is where the initial mystery starts. After the grandmother gets killed by this weird little deformed creature in the red coat, that, what, that becomes the mystery of what is this? And then as you said, once they come out and tell us what the brute is, then it gets explained even more. And essentially what happens is that these are all, all, all of the brood, they are uh, sort of emotional responses to 
Nola without really her knowledge. I at least I thought maybe without her knowledge and maybe till the end. But so and it comes at a time when Oliver Reed is um having like another session with Nola and he's back and forth with her. Like he's using doesn't he go into like Nola's mother's voice, like trying to get her to like no, no, I'm sorry. He starts off by trying to pretend to be Candace because he's trying to see if Nola actually abused Candace. And then once Nola revealed that, you know, I only did it because Mother kind of did it to me, then Oliver Reed switches tones and he becomes Nola's mother's voice. And right after that moment, because Nola gets angry, that is when the creature attacks the grandmother. And that becomes the first puzzle piece to let us know that whenever Nola gets angry at someone, that is when the brood attacks. Yeah, and I thought when it first started happening, I thought because the the little monster is like punching a hole through some little door. I have no idea what that door is supposed to be. Um, I, I'm guessing it's a cupboard because like food stuffs pops out. But like I thought it was supposed to be like some supernatural thing because we're dealing with psychoplasmics. We're dealing with mental projections. At least that's what I thought the the concept was at this point. And when a little fist, like the door bursts open, like stuff falls out and then you still see shaking, but then you see the little gloved fist pop through the door, the door again, and then it cuts away. I thought that was a mistake. Like I thought that was like something that wasn't supposed to happen. that got left in the movie. So like, cause, cause I had already seen Oliver Reed, like kind of wipe away some of the sores, the makeup on the guy's face, but I'm not a big fan of this kill. I think some of the budget limitations are very present in this one, um, especially because the the little monster. I have no idea what to call it. Thing the the little monster is beating Nola's mom in the head with like a meat tenderizer, and she's getting bloodied. But every time you actually see the mallet hit her head, it's very soft. Like it's very obvious. It's a very soft hit, and like she's her mouth is moving, but the screams we hear. It's very obvious it's not her saying them or like it's not the same thing she's doing. Just like from the production standpoint, I I, I did not enjoy this, but I did like, like I said, like I like the concept of this movie. I think it's very interesting. I think it's very well done, handled very well. I just I just wish I had a bigger budget. Right. I see. That's where I think some of that grindhouse sensibility does slide in. And like, cause I had mentioned before, like where I say like it teeters on that grindhouse and art house, that grindhouse sensibility comes in the form of that budget. It really does. It feels quick. It feels dirty, but then the art house angle comes with, you know, oftentimes like an art house movie will be the only really type of movie that pays attention to color scheme and reds and yellows are popping up in this thing left and right, man. And it's especially since, like, you know, with psychoplasmics, it's discussed as, you know, it's more of a study in the lymphatic, the blood. And since blood is red, red is almost like this connecting color that we see on everything, especially the first well, candies. Like, she always, the daughter candy always seems to be wrapped up in winter clothing that's red. The first brood creature is in red. And like, and, and like film color, for those who may not know, red often is a single of like danger, but in this case it can be looked at as like rage or anger, which just ties in to the whole thing of just, you know, stages of rage anyway. But then like the yellows come out a lot too. Like I've seen a lot of yellows in comparison. And that's where like, especially like Nola, there's a moment where she's wrapped in yellow in the beginning when she's talking with Oliver Reed. And like that's often like a color that signifies like deceit and jealousy. 
So, I mean, it's, that's where that art house comes in. Uh, you could tell that's where Cronenberg was trying to, like, this almost becomes like a marrying movie for him, trying to get away a little bit from that sleazy, grindhouse-ish feel to end something that allows him to experiment more in an art house sensibility. Have you seen his earlier movies, Rabbit and Shivers? Uh, I have not. Uh, Shivers is actually coming out on Blu-ray via, what is it, MVD? No, not MVD. Uh, Vestron Video Releases. That's coming out, and I cannot, I already have it pre-ordered, so I'm very interested to check out Shivers, but I, I haven't seen either of them. Okay. Yeah, I haven't seen them either. I don't know if they're... You would be able to give a scholarly perspective on the evolution of one David Cronenberg. I would assume, since we had discovered before the show started that um, The Brood was his biggest budget to date, I would assume that Rabbit and The, Shi- uh, uh, the Shivers... <laughs> Remove the the, it's cleaner. I would assume Rabbit and Shivers are very, very like that low-budget, sleazy horror movie feel. I would assume, anyway. Especially just with the premise, you know, like you look up the synopsis to either of those movies and you, you're pretty much going to know where you're getting into. Well, I mean, Shiver, Shiver's got me because it's basically just sex zombies in an apartment building. Right. So there you go. Grindhouse in a nutshell. So then the second death leads on into the father. This is, uh, as um, you had mentioned earlier, Ryan, that the father was the character who was essentially turning his back on all the violence. So it's uh, the word that you had used before in the discussion with that first kill was like a very paranormal feel. And this is where the kills get confusing for me because there is a, a blatant scene where after the brood kill Candace's teacher, because Nola believes that uh, Candace's teacher might be sleeping with her husband, and that's essentially how she gets killed. Uh, there's a blatant scene where the brood just walk Candace down an icy like snowdrift road. So then that leads me to believe that, oh, are they just walking from the Institute to these killing places? Then, like, how are they showing up so quickly to kill these people? Or or were they always just there waiting? Especially if Nola was, you know, if if she's not having the brood attack until her emotions strike, how the hell are they getting there so quickly? I think they explain the kill for the father as the thing was there the whole time. I get well, no, no, because that wouldn't make sense. Because they said that he says it had to have been there the whole time, but they looked the place up and down, and then that's why they were surprised. That's a good point. That's a very good point. Um, because I just took it as they, yeah, they should cut out. They should have cut out the scene where they're walking down the road. Because even that scene, there's that truck coming from behind them, mm-hmm. and I thought like something was going to happen to where they were going to get picked up or they were going to kill another person. But the truck just keeps driving and it cuts away. That doesn't really serve any any purpose. But then I guess you kind of you would kind of need that because at the end they are like we're shown what they are, and they're not supernatural. Like they they're not like spirits. You know they're not projections. They are living, breathing organisms that you can touch and things like that. So yeah, I guess I never I never really thought about that. But that's a good point. Like how would they get there so quickly? Because the way it's presented that their intercut with the sessions between Reglan and Nola. Right. Granted, we're dealing with psychoplasmics and shit like that. Don't take it too literal or serious, of course, but at the same time, like I'm a firm believer that if you're going to create rules, even if they're made-up rules, if you're going to create rules for your movie, for your world, follow them. Do it in a, in a way that's going to make sense. Well, maybe, maybe Cronenberg thought he could get away with it, 
because there is an attempt to explain timing, right? There, when when Noah's father calls when he's in the house after her mom's dead, and he's drunk and he's crying, and he calls Frank. Frank is with the teacher, and he tells her like when he hangs up with with Barney, uh, he tells the teacher that he has to go get him because he's drunk. It's just, it's 15 minutes away. And then he, you know, if you you wait here 45 minutes, I should be back. So it's 15 minutes. And then it cuts to Nola, I believe, having her session with Raglan. And then it cuts to the father wandering the house again. And then he gets killed and Frank pulls up as he's like being killed. So maybe that's Cronenberg trying to explain away, like there's a 15 minute gap where it took them to get there. But even then, the resort's in the middle of the fucking woods. Yeah. <laughs> and again, back to that scene where the brood is walking candy down the road. That feels very isolated to a point where it's like uh, any any sort of cityscape or townscape is way out of view. But at the end of the day, uh, it, it's just a nitpick really more than anything. Yeah, I think because I, I didn't put it together until you, like again, there's another thing you brought up that I wasn't even really, I didn't even, it did not click with me. Because I think it's it's just one of those things like we talked with uh, about Barry Monday last week. There are a lot of little things um, that you just kind of let slide, just because it's not it's not a serious movie. So we will get we we can talk about the murder of the teacher. This I was happy. Like I, I've I've said it on the other podcast. If you're willing to kill children in your movies, I'm all for it. I fucking love it because that just means all bets are off. Like that's one of the things if. If uh, a person kills a dog, or if they kill a kid, you know they're ultimate evil. Like, they could fucking do anything. But to have a person violently murdered in front of little children is super close. Super close. Um, again, budgetary limitations are, are, are showing in this, because, I mean, the brood, the little monsters, their faces are obviously, like, they look like papier-mâché masks. They're not very well done. But the way she's killed... Uh, they're using these little toy mallets. Again, they don't really seem like they're hitting very hard. Um, but, you know, I, I respect the concept of not just having her killed, you know, off in the darkness. She is killed under lights in front of children. And it made me very happy. Yeah, that was I was not expecting. I completely forgot about that moment. So when it came up again, it was completely unexpected. And I love how they're, I love how that whole sequence is filmed, man. Like those two were like assassination execution style motherfuckers that just like, we're on a mission. This bitch is dying. (laughs) We don't care who is in the room. And yeah, by the time that Frank comes back and sees her and lifts up her weightless bloody head and you hear all the kids surrounding him, they're all like whimpering like puppies. It was just, oh, it made my stomach churn a little bit. I think that's good. Because like, it's. That is the setting you up for the 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 viscera, the visceral images that you're going to see as the movie begins to wind down. Uh, I do want to s- s- talk about another thing that I really appreciated is that Dr. Reglan is not the villain. It could have very easily have made him the villain. He creates these monsters like he's Dr. Moreau or some some shit. But like when given the opportunity, he realizes he's fucking up. He sends everyone away except for Nola uh, because she's really far gone. And he helps Frank save the day. 
Like he he willingly sacrifices himself to save Candy while Frank distracts Nola. And I really appreciate it because it would have been so easy, so easy to have him be like whatever what, what, in video games. What's it called before the the final boss? Like he's what uh, he's the you know the end boss for this level. You know Frank just has to get through him to get to the the final the final boss. That's what's I love so much about Oliver Reed is it, again I it's his character starts off like you said as being maybe this this guy who's going to reveal himself to be so much more of a douche that what he leads himself on to be because he he does come off like you know it's almost like that oh like highly educated you know my shit doesn't stink I, I've got an upper hand on you intellectually type of person. But yeah, you're right. Like by the time it gets to the end, like he understands what needs to be done. He, I think probably even too, I, I think the whole idea of psychoplasmics for him, like his own bullshit science sort of frightens him. And it just leads him to a point where he has to sort of resolve it himself. Yeah. And I, uh, I like the character Mike when he gets released. Like he is, he says to himself, he's addicted to Reglan. Like he needs that. Uh, acceptance from the father figure but i do like the little little bits like little hints they drop throughout the movie but the one that really got uh, i thought was really cool was when he calls nola the queen bee like insinuates that reglan no i think he does say reglan's in love with her and that kind of like would obviously set reglan up to be the villain um and like he calls her the queen bee you find out at the end she is in fact the queen bee like her body is developed into sort of the like she has the external egg sac and everything, but like I again, not to like sound repetitive, I I thought wholeheartedly it like we were gonna have this final confrontation with Reglan, like Frank and Reglan, where Reglan doesn't want to give up, like he doesn't want to let the brood go or he doesn't want to let Nola go, and he was gonna he was willingly gonna burn everything down to the ground to save them or something like that. It was refreshing to have, especially at the end. Especially when Reglan is trying to save Candy, and those little monsters are being creepy, like that. I think I think anyone else besides Oliver Reed, I don't think it would have been as emotionally fulfilling. And I like the I, I like the the mind game they try to set up, where before you know Raglan goes in to save Candy, he tells Frank, he's like, look, you know, that's when it kind of becomes revealed that her emotions like whenever she becomes angry that is when the brood strike but as long as she's docile and calm the brood will remain calm as well and so i like that you know i like the moment where nola because she believes frank frank goes in does his job acts calm tries to like sway her to his side like you know i love you i'm here to rescue you i'm here to like I'm here to start our life again. But I like the moment where it changes is when she reveals her external like egg sac, sort of birthing sac. Uh, Frank's reaction, as normal as it should be, is in disgust and horror. And then when Nola notices that, that is what sets her off. And I like that. I like that it wasn't something, it wasn't Frank saying some bullshit line that throws her off. It's the fact that she sees the emotion in Frank, what Frank sees in her all along, just pure disgust. And then that's what sets her off, and then that's what sets the brood to attack Oliver Reed and essentially kill him. Oh, God, Nola. No. I disgust you. I sicken you. 
You hate me. You didn't come here because you love me. You came here to take our daughter away and give her to somebody else. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that to you. Liar. You're lying. You're lying. You're lying. I know. I think... I mean, Frank's reaction was my reaction when I saw it, because like I like I've seen the cover of the because I own the Criterion uh, edition of it, and the cover is Nola holding like a little like a little baby, but you don't see the egg sac. So like when she has on the white thing, I thought she was just going to reveal the deformed baby, but no, there's an egg sac. She uh, rips it open to reveal the baby. And then she licks the baby clean. Yeah, tears her own birthing sack open with her teeth. And then as she's pulling the baby out, just like this weird sort of canine sort of, you know, sensibility of I got to make sure to like clean the goop off of my newborn. It's a very unsettling moment. Oh, yeah, no, I, I was taken aback by it. I was in that moment. I was Frank Corvath. <laughs> I will say, though, I, I am bummed that the way he kills her, or just the whole final confrontation between them, is a bit stale, I thought. Yeah, it's again, I hate to harp on it, but obvious budgetary limitations, because even, because he just chokes her to death, and even that's not very convincing, because his, his hands are, like, on her, like, her collarbones, for the most part, not really squeezing, choking the life out of her. And at the same time, upstairs in the attic, Oliver Reed is being attacked by all these little gymnasts jumping on him. Yeah. And like they're they're hitting him, but like they're not hitting him. They're like they're you know, like how Marky Mark hit himself in uh that one movie where he's hitting his chest over oh, and over. <laughs> fear. Yeah. I wanted to say primal fear, but I knew that wasn't the name of the movie. Like they're not they're not hitting him. They're like they're mar- they're doing the Marky Mark to him. I might be wrong in this. Isn't there a moment where it's revealed that they were like chewing on him as well? Like I thought I seen as they were coming up, there was like teeth marks all over him as well. There, I mean, there might have been. I didn't, I didn't notice. All I, all I can remember is them how they jumped on him and hit him, and how he was again screaming, but the audio we were hearing wasn't did not make sense <laughs> with hey. his screams. Hey, he he got to blow away a few of them though. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, he shoots the. <laughs> oh yeah, he shoots the one that's sitting on the bunk bed. Yeah, and yeah. like sprays on the wall behind it. And then once Nola dies, the rest of the remaining brood, uh, brood die as well. In the very hive mentality, which goes back to her nickname being the Queen Bee, I suppose as well. So as Frank and his daughter Candy are driving away, the camera, the final shot of the movie, it pans in on like two little lesions on Candy's arm, and I guess. I don't want to go as far as giving a lazy answer that it, it could be open-ended. I I feel like maybe the process is starting over with Candy. Like this is this is the trauma coming out onto her on her arm and will she be the new queen bee? Is she going to follow in her mother's footsteps? I I like that those are possible questions that Cronenberg leaves you with. I took it as so uh, as I spoke of earlier, I took it. I, I thought the original point of the movie was, you know, ending cycles of violence. And there's a story that the grandmother tells Candy about her daughter, about Nola, about how when she was going through puberty, she got hives. 
and like I can't remember the exact story, but like that was one of the inciting incidences that caused us that began the trauma that Nola experiences that when her like the the violence she gets from her mom. I took that as those were hives, like Candy was developing hives just like her mom. It would set you up to believe that the cycle just for some reason cannot be broken. We're just humans. We are just going to experience this over and over and over. All right. Well, we are getting to a point in our show uh, where we need to start getting to the conclusion. First things first, Ryan, do you recommend this to renters? I think I would. It's it's a fun movie. It's got, you know, it's not like until the end, the special effects uh, or the effects work isn't that great. Um, but the ending is good enough, I believe, to make up for it. Um, like you said, it's a slow burn, but I do believe the reward at the end is worth the wait. Absolutely. I, it's, it's one of those where if, you know, you have to be in the mindset of a good horror story as well. Like if you're not a fan of slow burns or if you're not a fan of horror, this may not be a direction for you. However, I do believe it is a very, not an amazing, it's not going to blow the doors back in terms of mystery stories, but uh, it delivers a solid mystery. And just like Ryan mentioned, um, that mystery, when it gets revealed, that is, it's definitely one of those movies that if we, if we were still discussing movies at the water cooler, this would be a water cooler discussion for people the next day at work. And the thing that would be talked about the most was like, holy shit, that ending. But yeah, I think this is definitely worth your time. So yeah, awesome. We are coming in at a halfway point onto our labor pains. Uh, next week is going to be, I'm a little, I'm a little timid on this one, but I am also a little excited. I hope this one is all kinds of wacky ass. We're doing Hush, correct? Yes, with with old goop star Gwyneth Paltrow. That, that one should be fun. I think we can, because even if the movie is good, we can, like, it's more like, if it's, I guess not good. If, if it falls into the school spirit category uh, where it's dog shit, but you can't really talk about it a whole lot because it's just repeating yourself, um, we can at least make fun of her. <laughs> it just becomes a, a 45, 50 minute bash session on goop. <laughs> Yeah, or just her in general. Yeah, <laughs> she she she's an Oscar winner. Oh, that's right. Uh, Shakespeare in the or Shakespeare in Love is that Shakespeare in Love. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Holy hell! I forgot about that. All right. Hey, Ryan. Thank you for watching this with me. You're welcome. And for everyone else, thank you for listening. And as always, please have a wonderful late night rental. Ah! Arm looks wet. I need a bath real soon.